But first, it's time for our weekly Shapirouette. And uh, I understand Donald's pretty much full-time managing his legal issues these days. That's when he's not consorting with QAnon. Uh, I, and I heard him on Fox TV, Bruce, claiming he could just say documents were declassified. Just think it. And hey, presto. Is that <laughs> is you know, any I'm, of the above possibly true? <laughs> of the of of the many wild and absurd and occasionally bizarrely hilarious things Donald Trump has said, um, his 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 claim that it was within his telepathic power to <laughs> declassify uh, federal documents. Uh, Rank, you know, ranks up there, um, along with I'm a very stable genius. I think those two are probably in their their e- equal places. Um, look, that statement was made in the middle of a singularly bad week for Donald Trump. And, you know, we should say we are six weeks out from a crucial midterm election, perhaps the most important midterm election in the United States since the Civil War. And yet we are still talking about Donald Trump two years ago and the transition of presidential power and all this. But we have to. The reality is he had a very, very bad week. Um, Within two days last week, uh, former President Trump, first of all, lost his appeal, uh, lost at the federal appeals court on his demand for a special master to hold on to all of those classified documents and not allow the government to continue using them, investigating him, and to return all those classified documents that he'd been holding at Mar-a-Lago, to return them to his personal care. A three-judge panel of the federal appeals court um, in Atlanta, including two out of three of them, Trump appointees, simply swatted back unceremoniously um, both the Trump team's claims and indeed the arguments of of, of federal judge Eileen Cannon, uh, who had kind of put the brakes on the classified documents investigation in the first place, simply pointing out that classified documents, by definition, are government property, and you can't get an injunction keeping the government from looking at government property. Um, you know, it it really made the absurdity of former President Trump's claims about his holding on to the documents very clear. The the, the appeals court over and over went out of the way to knock back as full of errors both the Trump team's filings and Judge Cannon. And this came within a few hours, basically, of another huge and more consequential, uh, perhaps, legal risk for former President Trump. The attorney general of the state of New York, Letitia James, filing a massive lawsuit against Trump, the Trump Corporation, the Trump family for fraud, for fraudulently, it is alleged, inflating the value of his property and holdings, his personal wealth, in order to secure loans. Um, This, uh, if successful, would 
bar the Trump Corporation from doing any business at all in New York City, where it still owns, of course, massive amounts of property. Um, uh, look, I think a- it's a bit unfair to, to attack Trump on these grounds. We know he can't count. Look at the uh, his, his guesstimates about the size of the inauguration crowd. Well, you know, um, there are those who would say, at least Attorney General James in New York would say, that maybe he's counting too well. He knows exactly what he's worth, and it's a lot less than he claims publicly. And indeed, according to this lawsuit, which is based on a two-year investigation, basically, that's involved interviews with the Trump children and other executives, um, the claim is that he knowingly radically inflated the value of his property in order to secure loans from Deutsche Bank and other lenders. So, you know, there's nothing new about the idea that Donald is a fraud, but there is something potent about the state of New York going after him for it in a civil court where, by the way, um, under American law, it's not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a preponderance of evidence in a civil case like this as opposed to a criminal case. Um, this is a, a, a genuine risk to the personal finances and the corporate operation of the Trump grift. Now, while he's sort of summoning the support of the uh, QAnon conspiracy theorists, I see that there's a a sedition trial starting next week in relation to Jan 6. Tell us about the Oath Keepers. Well, this is is really consequential. Um, You know, of the various militias that assembled in in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, Um, The most potent, the best organized was this little group called the uh, the Oath Keepers, founded by a Yale Law School graduate. He dresses like a pirate with one with an eye patch and a grisly beard. But he's a Yale Law School graduate named Stuart Rhodes, um, who they're the ones you will see on videos forming these military stack formations and um, kind of leading the charge into the Capitol. Um, you know, seditious conspiracy is not a charge you usually see in American law. But what investigators found about the Oath Keepers is that Rhodes and his colleagues had accumulated stockpiles of weapons ahead of January 6th, had gone to the Capitol with strategic plans laid out. Um, Rhodes and his people claim, oh, we just thought that President Trump might invoke the Insurrection Act, which would allow a president to call up militias. And we were just there in, in that case. But what the federal prosecutors are claiming here is that, in fact, the Oath Keepers were the, the leading edge of this deliberate campaign to undermine um, the counting of the presidential vote. And this, of course, but the, is also... But their discipline is breaking down and some of them are, are sort of aiding now at the inquiring. 
Well, there have been, uh, I think it is uh, four of them. Um, four or five members of the Oath Keepers have pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy charges ahead of the trial of Rhodes and uh, several of his higher-level comrades. And all of those folks are expected to testify for the prosecution. There's also a huge amount of documentary evidence. Um, these these folks communicated by text message. The government has those records. They have cell phone records. There are eyewitness accounts. Um, you know. Now, I should say for the Justice Department, this is a really high-stakes trial, too. Um, up until now, the Justice Department has not lost a single one of its January 6th prosecutions, but they've thus far all been kind of low-level individuals, people who were caught on tape um, committing acts of violence. This case goes to the heart of the case that not only the Justice Department, but the January 6th committee, which is holding another hearing uh, tomorrow, have been making, which is that there was a deliberate criminal conspiracy to block um, the counting of votes, therefore to block a lawful election, to block federal law. Um, the consequences of seditious conspiracy and of anyone involved in it are high. There's long prison terms, and there is also the possibility that White House officials up to and including President Trump had some knowledge about this. We've heard this week that there was a, 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 a mysterious phone call from the White House to one of the January 6th rioters. There are numerous contacts between Roger Stone, the president's advisor, and the Oath Keepers, all of this is going to be front and center, um, and the Justice Department kind of can't afford to lose this case. If they lose a seditious conspiracy prosecution, um, there's no doubt it would give great encouragement to former President Trump and his more militant and QAnon-ish followers. Bruce, uh, the UN is meeting in New York this week, so has Biden had anything to say about these uh, quite extraordinary demos in Iran? Well, indeed, the, you know, the US uh, has been supporting the protesters who've come out in, in, uh, in protest against the death of a woman in custody and against the continued restriction of women's rights in Iran. At the same time, the Biden administration, uh, this is a delicate moment because the Biden administration has been trying to reopen the uh, nuclear deal, the nuclear power deal with Iran, which, um, of course, former President Trump scuttled, un undid that nuclear agreement. Um, so the timing is complex. Um, on the one hand, I think the Biden administration sees this as a way of putting continued pressure uh, from uh, on on the Iranian regime. The regime now may need a deal more than ever. On the other hand, Biden administration also doesn't want Iran to walk away. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Look, it's uh, it's it's similar to the complex dynamic that we are watching play out um, around. Putin and his threats of using nuclear weapons. Um, the White House has made it clear that they're, they've communicated specific consequences to the Russians. They've also made it clear that uh, the line of communication is open and over and over 
um, Biden has been cautious about giving Ukraine the most advanced weapon systems specifically for fear of provoking nuclear confrontation. So, you know, as with Iran, there is a kind of a push and a pull, a, a very, very complex map of how far to push um, an adversary. And in the case of Russia, a, a th nuclear threat, a specific nuclear threat. Interesting, of course, that both Russia and Iran evolve at the end of the day, nuclear proliferation, the kind of um, undercurrent of all of these crises now. Bruce is wearing his, uh, the storm is coming, lapel badge, which is a sign of his involvement with QAnon, but his day job is exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University, LNL on RN. G'day potties, if you like discussions that get beyond the headlines and help you make sense of the big trends in business and politics, check out uh, Saturday Extra with my colleague Geraldine Doog on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>